0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougal, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Amen. Well, good morning, church family. Hope you're doing well. It's good to gather, isn't it? In God's presence and gather together today we uh, continue this is week two of our follow me message series and just a reminder we're every Sunday until Easter we are fixing our eyes on Jesus as he uh, as we see his life lived out through the account of Luke and our hope is that as we uh, just see Jesus live the life that he lived we will one grow in our love for him and our desire to worship him but also will grow in our capacity to follow him and to lead a life of love as we set out to do the good that he's called each one of us to do. And so we, uh, today we'll, we'll go ahead and begin on page one. First words that Luke writes there in Luke chapter one, verses one to four, we see an introduction and the fact that he is actually writing this to a, a person. And we pick it up there in verse one where he says, many accounts have been undertaken to draw up an account or many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word with this in mind since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning I too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So for Luke, as he writes this account of the life of Christ, this isn't a theological treatise so much or a, you know, a, a paper that you would turn in to a, a professor. This is a, a letter to a friend, an account for a friend. This is written out of love for this person that, that he identifies as Theophilus. We know that Luke is a Gentile. He's writing to a Gentile, Theophilus. We know that Theophilus is probably somebody of, of some social standing, as he says, most excellent Theophilus. We know that Luke had, uh, was educated. Does any trivia moment, anyone know what Luke was as a career, as a profession? He was a doctor. Does anyone know what kind of doctor? This is going to push us a little bit. What kind of doctor was he what was his specialty anybody know that one anyone have a Sherlock hunch knowing knowing what you know about Luke was he a cardiologist or a family practice guy some some may think I think he was labor and delivery because he gives us the most detailed account of the birth of Christ right so could have been you know some interest there I my hunch my Sherlock hunch is he was an emergency room doctor he was an ER doctor Why? Because he was the guy God chose to accompany Paul on his missionary journeys, and Paul was always getting beat up in need of a traveling emergency room. And so Luke was there to stitch him up and uh, keep him going. But we know that he was a a doctor, um, and the uh, question around, okay, when was Luke written? It's interesting, he's he's a second-generation Christian. And you say, well, okay, where does he get the authority to... Uh, where is his apostolic authority? We know all scripture ties back to a prophet or an apostle. And so who's the apostle in it? That would be Paul, as he traveled with Paul, and, and that's um, where his authority comes from. But where does, where does this fall in the timeline of history? And most scholars feel that this was written around 62 A.D. We, as we page through the beginning of Luke, the first two chapters are given to the arrival of Christ and John the Baptist. John the Baptist, remember, was the uh, prophesied in Isaiah, forerunner of Christ to lay the ground, get people's hearts ready for the coming of Jesus. And it's fascinating. In chapter 3, we see, really, John's ministry was very unique, but also very short. It was a quick ministry, very important. But uh, he covers that. We, uh, I love the fact that Luke includes the only moment in the life of Christ where we see him as a teenager. And I'm um, probably Luke talked to... Jesus' his mom and uh, others, and, and I can't help but think that he, God had him include this. Just to encourage you moms and those of you young men who are around 13 years old, Jesus and his mom had tension at 13, even Jesus. So be encouraged. This is a phase, and uh, you will get through this. But, but he goes through chapter 3. We see the, uh, the ministry of John the Baptist as well as the... Uh, The baptism of Jesus and a very special moment is Jesus is baptized the Holy Spirit descends on him visibly and then the uh, the father says this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased and really a neat picture of the father's blessing and I think a model for us as fathers to at some point bless our children and assure them of our love their identity and and God's touch on their lives But then Luke goes into Ancestry.com moment and gives us a genealogy. It's different than the genealogy that Matthew gives, which traces back to Abraham. It's interesting, he takes this back to Seth and then back to Adam, and uh, foreshadowing the the reality that Jesus is the second Adam, and and, um, will really play into where we're at today. So, We'll go ahead and today pick up the life of Christ where the fight begins, and that's in chapter 4. This is the moment where we see Jesus battling temptation, and the question comes to us as we come to this moment, why does God preserve this moment for us? And a couple of thoughts, one is, I, I think, worship. As we see our Lord battle temptation, remembering He did this for us, it leads us to worship and just to... And we'll take a moment just to praise him as we uh, look at what he did for us, overcoming temptation. But the second reason is not only inspiring us to worship, but educating us for our own fight. How do you get through those moments when you are facing temptation and you're struggling to do what's right, to follow God? And as we watch Jesus win his fight, it's instructive for us as well as we seek to to win our battle over temptation. So we'll go ahead, pick it up in chapter four, verses one and two. Verse one says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, the river there where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Literally, it's desolation. There's a, a, between the Jordan and the Dead Sea, there's this wilderness that, it's like, think Death Valley here in the United States, but nothing grows there. Horrible place. You would never go to this place on purpose. But the Spirit leads him there where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. We'll we'll walk through the rest of the temptation here but right here we'd like to just pause and make three observations that lead to worship. And the first one is this. Jesus humbly followed the lead of the Holy Spirit. When it says he was full of the Holy Spirit, what's that mean? It means that he was completely surrendered to the Spirit's leadership in his life. And as he follows the Spirit, it's, I think it's significant to note where is the Spirit leading him? To a place he does not want to go. No one in their right mind wants to go to the desolation. The first step before public ministry or as he he, uh, follows the Spirit into public ministry is into a very, uh, into desolation, into a wilderness, a place that he doesn't want to go and yet he goes. As we will read through the three temptations that we get to see They're each unique, but they each have one thing in common, and the one commonality is this, the temptation for Jesus to lead himself. Each temptation is a temptation to be self-willed versus led by God. Now think about the humility for a moment of our Lord. He is fully God. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and yet what is he doing as we see him live out the mission God's given him? He's following, following, following. Where? To a place he doesn't want to go. And I think this is huge for us. As we How do we run through the matrix of temptation here on earth? What is at the root of every temptation is what? It's pride. To to say, I want to lead my life. I want to go this way. My way, my way, my way. But that way leads to death, destruction, bondage. Now, I think right here at the start, Jesus is illustrating for us, guys, this is how you make it through the matrix. You follow. Who do we follow? The Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led into the wilderness. And as I watch this, I I just, it leads to worship, doesn't it? Just like, Lord, your humility. (laughs) Look at my own heart and how hard it is and prone I am to lead my own life. And yet, our Lord, so humble. Second, though, observation, the temptation that Jesus endures for us is ferocious. Immediately, you see the contrast. You have Adam, the genealogy. Okay, Adam. The first Adam, though, representing us, he fell in what context? When he gave way, he and Eve gave way to temptation, where were they? In a lush garden. And what were they? Full of all kinds of good food. I mean, they had all kinds of food to eat. Where is Jesus when he's being tempted? And what's the first temptation? Turn stone into bread. He's tempted to eat. And where is he? In a wilderness where that fridge is empty. There is no food. And he has been hungry for 40 days. Can you imagine the ferocity when the devil comes and says, Hey, why not just turn that stone into bread? What's the number one rule we know when we go to the grocery store? If you hope not to spend a bunch more money and buy a bunch of Bad food that will kill you. What do you know when you go to the grocery store? Don't go hungry. <laughs> no human can walk down that chip aisle or the Oreo aisle hungry and not give into that temptation of barbecue chips, just saying, Come have a bag, right? And uh, we see our Lord, and, and when he gets tempted, he's at his weakest point physically. He's hungry and 40 days hungry. The temptation that Jesus endured is ferocious in that he endured it all the way through to the finish. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Imagine temptation is a wind that blows against us, and we have to keep going through this wind. But eventually, and imagine with every minute that passes as we battle the temptation, the wind's intensity grows. So it goes from a 20-mile-an-hour wind to a 30-mile-an-hour wind to a 40-mile-an-hour wind to the moment that we all fall, right? We've all sinned. There's been a temptation that has taken us all out. Therefore, we don't know what a hundred mile an hour temptation feels like. Jesus does, and he knew what every full strength of every temptation felt like, and he battled through every one of them for you and for me. I don't know about you, but it, it leaves me just saying, Jesus, you are awesome, and thank you. Thank you. We worship the temptation that he endured as ferocious, not only in its intensity, but in its duration. The word tempted here in this text is a a, uh, present participle, which means it was continual temptation. The thought that that Jesus only faced three temptations that we read here is not accurate in that he was being tempted for 40 days, we see the climax of that temptation, but it's a temptation that would continue for three more years, and every temptation, every moment where the devil came, and you think about all the moments that we have even recorded, Where remember when Peter said, skip the cross, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Temptation after temptation was an opportunity for him to fall, and if he fell, he would not be a perfect sacrifice to redeem us, and our souls would be damned to an eternity of hell, should he have given in one time. And as he approached Jerusalem, Luke writes his gospel, really it's a journey towards Jerusalem, the intensity of the, the temptations increased to the point where the night before the cross, he's sweating drops of blood as he wants his, or is tempted to go his own way. Father, but praise, Father, not my will, but your will be done as he looks at the cross. And even on the way to the cross, his physical body gives out. He can't even carry his cross. Evil so unleashing on him in his moment that to do what he came to do, save us as he took our sin to the cross. God provides another guy to carry his cross, but Jesus makes it. and He doesn't stop. Even as his body wears down, he makes it to that moment and lays down his life for us. It leads us to worship. The temptation he endured for us is ferocious also in how subtle it is as we read these you'll notice the devil's going to tempt him to turn stone into bread that's not that bad right like you're not hurting anybody you're just getting food for yourself that's not that bad and then he tempts him to uh take a little power and glory he's the son he deserves that anyway right what's wrong with the little power and glory and then he'll tempt him to throw himself down from the temple you know and Showcase the Father's protection. Well, what's wrong with that? It's not that. It's not murder. It's not... Man. These, what's he tempting him to do? Lead his own life. Self-will versus be led. And so he battles through for our sake. A third observation that leads us to worship is that Jesus overcomes temptation by swinging scripture and by that I mean swinging the word of God as we watch him battle what's so helpful for this is he's showing us how to battle of anyone who could have argued with the devil reasoned with the devil dialogued with the devil and beat him it would have been Jesus but does Jesus argue with the devil and you'll notice how it's the briefness of his response no he goes right to the word of God the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6, and he swings it. And in doing so, he shows us this is how we win the fight, you guys. This is how. When the devil comes tempting, when the world with all of its eye uh, seems to be common-sense majority buys the lie of the enemy, and when our flesh comes tempting us and we're led astray by our own evil desire there is one way to win the fight and it is by swinging the word of God meaning you find the word of God that applies to that temptation and you you live it you say it you live it and and you go and what a gift our Lord has given us in this moment as we see him fight swinging the sword you know as we relive these moments and we think about what Jesus went through for us. What, and not just the cross, but the fact that, that he gave his life tempted, tried. And every temptation won was out of love for his Father, but also out of love for us, so that he might be the perfect sacrifice. It just leads us to worship, doesn't it? And uh, just to know, we get credit for the perfect life that he lived on our behalf and so I thought it'd be good just to take a moment and just worship him continue to worship him but just thank him for battling through and I'll give you a moment just to tell him in your own words silently and then I'll I'll wrap us up let's pray Jesus, we thank you for taking on humanity, for being the second Adam, for the purpose of redeeming us, rescuing us. And as we see you led into the wilderness to be tempted, we just thank you for what you had to endure for us. Thank you for battling victoriously. Thank you for this picture that you give us that equips us for our own fight. And we pray that we would receive what you want us to now. Help us to live for your glory, the purity of love for you and for the people around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, what do we learn from our Lord as we watch him battle? And what we'll notice three temptations. We'll, we'll receive three action steps that help us through our own battle. But the first one there is in verse three. It says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, taking a hit at his. Okay, if you are who you say you are. Tell this stone to become bread. Now, what's at the heart of this temptation? What's what's at the heart of this? You're God's son. Why isn't your father meeting your needs? Right? You're hungry. God, the Spirit, led you out into a place where he's got you starving. And you trust him? What's he doing? He's tempting him to doubt the goodness of his father. And so how does Jesus respond? He says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. And the, uh, it's a statement of really, what's he saying here? He's saying, I'm trusting God with my life. Yes, I'm on the brink of starvation, but I don't live on bread alone alone. And the rest of this, he's quoting uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and the context here is man does, Matthew quotes the rest of this, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's a statement of radical trust and dependence on God to provide for his own. Now, we, we continue to ask you, how does Jesus, what, what's Jesus gleaning from this text that's helping him endure this temptation? And Trust God and trust his Father in these moments. And it's helpful for us to go back to that. So if you would join me back at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and following, and we'll get a window into what Jesus is thinking as he quotes this. Verse 2 of of, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. So speaking of Israel, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Why? Why did he do this for Israel and why was this happening in the life of our Lord? To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So what's he saying? What's Jesus saying? In essence, he's saying, my life does not depend just on bread my life depends on god the father saying live and if he wants me to live apart from bread he can do that if he wants me to live by having bread he'll provide bread but my life is in him alone and then he goes on, your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that that as, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so your God disciplines you. Why did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? What did Jesus know? He was being trained. This was the, the, this was the discipline that would prepare him to go to the cross. His soul was being readied for the fight, and so it is for us, you guys. The seasons of lack, when you don't have what you need, are not punishment, unless we're outside the will of God. But, But if we're in the will of God, those seasons are necessary training from the Father, who is growing our faith, to believe that even though I don't have what I need, I trust Him to provide. We see this further explained in Hebrews chapter 5, which is such a, I hesitate to even share this text with you guys today, because it's one of those that, that I've struggled for many years to understand what it means, and I still don't fully grasp it, but this explains it, and so um, I encourage you to keep on digging in, but, but, but let's read this, or, uh, Hebrews 5, Verses 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. When Jesus was in the wilderness, was this a stoic? Just like, "Ah." out there, you know, just praying with no emotion. No, I, I think he's probably shedding tears. When he's hungry, I think he's probably praying some psalms that are like, Lord, how long? He was heard why? Because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience. And and I always wondered, how did Jesus learn obedience? Like, he never sinned. So if you can't be wrong, how can you learn? We learn obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. And again, I thought, how could Jesus be made perfect? If he's sinless, he's already perfect. No, the word perfect there is telion. The same word James uses in James 1.3, he says, let it consider it pure joy when you face trials of, of many kinds, because when these develop that perseverance, we become perfect. It doesn't mean sinless. It means complete, ready to do what God's called us to do. What readied Jesus for the cross? It was the desert. It was the temptation. And when he became perfect, he he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The Father is preparing him for the cross, and he knows this. So what's the devil really tempting him to do when he says, hey, turn some bread into stone? I mean, some uh, stone into bread. What's he tempting him to do? Tap out of the training. And what will he tempt you to do? tap out of the training. But we got to stay with it. Why? It's preparing us to do the good that he's called us to do. How do we do that? All right. We, we, uh, what Jesus does, we, we pray scripture. We read scripture. We uh, apply scripture. And so the first action step, when tempted to doubt the goodness of God, when we're in that season of lack or season of, of a trial, the action step is this. Pray. Help me trust you fully. Knowing that the Lord will provide so here's the homework today all right let's go home and let's pick one promise that we can pray that will help us trust God when we're struggling in a season of lack when we're in the trial so one promise that's your go-to promise for Jesus it was man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the the mouth of the father what's your go-to promise that when you're in that season of lack and you're starting to doubt the goodness of God, you can just go pray. The enemy's coming at you. You got it? So that will be, that's homework assignment. And what if we say this? Everyone has to share it with someone before next Sunday. And we can hold each other accountable in our family. So we all need one go-to promise that we can pray when the devil tempts us to doubt the goodness of God in our our wilderness season. All right, on to the next temptation. The... uh, The devil led him up to a high place, verse 5, showed him in an instant the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you all their their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. Sometimes I I read this and I think, how could Jesus even have been tempted to worship the devil when he looks like Darth Maul, you know, red and scary? Well, remember, anytime somebody sees an angel and, and Lucifer's a cherubim, in the Bible, what do they do? They fall on their feet and they worship. And the angel has to say, Don't worship me, worship God. And I don't think Lucifer came to him in a scary form, but rather a, a glorious form. And it's true. It's partly true. He has some authority down here in the kingdoms of man that the Father gave him. And it's a lie, and that he's, he's, yeah, it's, it's pure lie. But, but there's also a, it was a, it was a legit temptation. Jesus was coming to set up his kingdom and so uh at core you say okay what's going on here what's he appealing to that we struggle with as well and it's pride he's tempting him to get a little cut of power cut of glory and just worship something else worship him for us we worship tempts us to worship money success status all these other things you know get a little cut of glory and we know that uh where this, where this leads is into bondage. Isn't it interesting? We, we serve what we worship, and if we start worshiping money, we become a slave to money. If we start worshiping our relationships, our friends, having the right friends, we become a slave to friends. And so what Jesus quote says, his response is, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only cannot have two masters. We are to worship one. He's quoting the first commandment in the Decalogue. He's uh, also quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And it leads us to this action step. When I'm tempted to pursue, elevate myself, pursue pride, get a cut of glory, the prayer is this. Help me worship you alone. Help me worship you alone. And so the homework on this one is to, let's all get a, a text that we can, quote to ourselves pray that is a command which is a call to worship for jesus it was the this one for um us it may be a a passage of scripture one that was coming to my mind was uh psalm 115 verse one that says not to us lord not to us lord not unto us but to unto your name be glory because of your love and faithfulness, or maybe it's one of the, the ones that calls us to humility. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. But the challenge is this. What do you do when the devil comes tempting you with, with pride and to, uh, to put yourself, pursue power, to pursue glory, to make yourself look good? How do we respond to that temptation? And it's simply this, to be praying, Lord, help me worship you only help me worship you only so help me trust you fully help me worship you only and then the third temptation we see the devil uh leads him to jerusalem which will be the really the pinnacle of jesus's ministry and has him stand on the highest point in the temple and he says if you are the son of god again hitting at his identity if you're really the son of god Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command, he quotes Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. What's at the core of this temptation? What's so wrong about showcasing the Father's protection over him? What's the devil doing? He's tempting Jesus to do the work of God in his own way and to lead in that. It's a, it's a temptation to not be submissive to the leading of the Spirit in his life mission, in his ministry. And so Jesus responds in verse 12. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. And so what do you do in your own life when you're tempted to do even the work of God, even ministry? And as we do church work, you know, sometimes there's that temptation to use Means of the world, things that the world might use to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And what do we do in those moments? And we pray, Lord, here's the action step. When we're tempted to do God's work our way, we pray, Help me submit to you always. And for this one, the action step, the homework would be. Let's go to the life of Jesus and pick one moment where we see him submitting to the will of the Father in ministry. And so it might be this one. This is a great one. Maybe the pinnacle there, the Garden of Gethsemane. But how many times does Jesus say, "You know that the disciples are like Jesus, let's stay in this town. All these people are listening to you, and let's make you king." <laughs> and he's like, "No, we're going on. I'm doing." the Father's work His way. But, 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 this is not how you build a kingdom. No, doing the Father's work His way. So when we're tempted to do God's work our way, we pray, help me submit to you always. So today, I think as we come to this text, a big question for each one of us, are you living temptation ready? The devil's going to come tempting us, or if not him personally, for sure his forces, the world, the Flesh within us, and and it's around these three areas, and it's really around submission to God's leading in our life. And are you ready for temptation? The beauty of this text one is Jesus shows us some key ways that we fight temptation as we watch Him, but He also gives us, I think, the most essential, and that is seeking Him in prayer, praying the Word of God into those moments of temptation. When we're tempted, not to trust his goodness in that season of trial and preparation, to just pray, Father, help me trust you fully when we're tempted to, uh, to go our own way. Um, help me obey you um, or worship you fully, tempted to worship ourselves versus him. And when we're tempted to do his work our way, help me to submit to you always. Help me trust you fully, worship you only, submit to you always. Love the picture. If we're all praying this and all living temptation ready, we're gonna do some good, aren't we? God's gonna um, we're gonna be ready. God's given us what we need to face the temptations. And I know this time of year can be especially tough for us. I know those of us who struggle with addiction, for whatever reason, this cold, it's it can be dark outside, and, and it's just it's a tough stretch right here. And the devil can get, get at us, despair. He can get at us with our failures. We fail and we think it's over and there's forgiveness and and all of that. But I just encourage us today. I hope you, you sense the hope that God has given us in His Word. He's given us all we need to fight. And we have a Savior who fought for us. He battled. And when He took our sin to the cross, died in our place, offers salvation to all of us who believe, it wasn't just forgiveness that He gives us. And yes, our slate is clean, and when the Father sees us, He sees the perfect performance of Jesus. But He also gave us a power to fight so that in those moments of temptation, we can pray for help. And He hears us, and as we swing His sword, as we take the truth and just cut it right into the heart of the lie, we can demolish strongholds and walk out victoriously. The devil gets us thinking, you can't fight, you can't fight. We can't in our own power, but in the power of Jesus Christ, through his word, equipped like through texts like this one, we can. Amen? I love this story Seth Baker shared with me of a, a guy who he was a prisoner because he was a thief. He stole some things out of greed and deceit. And they threw him in prison. But in prison, he trusted Jesus as a savior and began to follow him, surrendered his life to him. So when he did his time and got out, one of the first things he did was go to a church family and, and um, worship for the first time as part of the family. And there was just great joy in that moment until he looked over on the wall and there was a, sign, a picture of the Ten Commandments. And all joy in his heart leaked out as he locked in on those, that one commandment thou shall not steal and he just felt all the condemnation of the enemy saying you're a thief you're a you broke that you deserve judgment condemnation what are you doing here with these people you can't sing you shouldn't sing but then he remembered what jesus did for him yes he's a thief but jesus paid his penalty But not only did Jesus pay his penalty, he battled temptation. Moment by moment, at the end of his life, was victorious. And then not only did he give us the opportunity to be forgiven, but to be victorious as we follow him. And what happened as he thought about that reality as he looked at that commandment was the commandment morphed from a commandment to a promise. It was no longer thou shalt not steal. It was thou shall not steal. You're free because you have a new heart. You don't have greed. Greed's not got you wrapped up. You're no longer deceitful. You're no longer, you're, you've got the heart of Jesus that longs to love and instead of stealing you will give you will give freely amen and god changes the commands into promises by his grace and through what jesus did for us let's pray together father we thank you for jesus you battling for us and being victorious and even today as we relive these moments We're reminded that we have no idea what you went through for us and but we do, in our limited way of understanding, just worship you. We thank you for the ways that this text equips us, Jesus. And just pray for my brothers and sisters here today. I know there's someone here today that's in a season of testing, a, a wilderness of lack, and I just pray that you would give them the faith to trust you, Pray for those of us who are being tempted to to be proud and there's conflict and we are just um, wanting power and wanting glory to elevate ourselves. I pray that you would help us to worship you only. Pray for those of us who are wanting to pray your blessing over what we want to do rather than praying, Lord, just help us Be a part of what you're blessing and your will be done. Help us to submit to you always as we set set out to do good. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.